for UK investors only. This podcast is in association with Janice Henderson Investors. For promotional purposes, capital at risk. The past performance of an investment is not a reliable guide to its future performance. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Master Investors Podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Laura Fole of Lowland Investment Company. Lowland invests across the market cap spectrum in the UK market, and Laura will be talking in more detail about the trust's investment style and some of the holdings in the portfolio. Here's the podcast, and I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, and welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, my name's James Faulkner. I'm the editor of Master Investor Magazine, and I'm joined by Laura Fole, who's the manager of Lowland Investment Company. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks for, Thanks for joining me. us. Lowland was uh, listed in 1963. Uh, it's been managed by James Henderson since 1990. Give us an overview of the trust's remit and its investment style. It's a UK income trust, and essentially it has a dual remit, so it aims to grow both capital and income over the medium term. And how it does that is by investing in UK companies across a big range of sizes. So it invests from AIM companies up to the FTSE 100. And I think that's what makes it quite unusual in the sector, the breadth of its remit across all different sizes of companies. The other differentiation, if you like, is that it grows income much higher than the sector on average, if you looked over time. So when I think about Lowland, the person that I think about who might want to own it would be someone that wants a good level of income, but who also wants that income to grow at a decent rate each year. Okay. And you've worked alongside James Henderson on the fund since 2013. You were appointed joint manager in 2016. What defines you as an investor, do you think? what What's your investment philosophy? I think an investment philosophy has to be developed over time. I think it would be a bit odd if you came in on day one and said, I'm a growth investor or I'm a value investor. I think it just has to be looking back and seeing what have I done that, that's worked and has performed well for the portfolio? And I think the style that's developing is one of good quality companies, but at the point at which they're out of favour. And I'm always amazed at how strong the sentiment swings are in the market. So you can have a good company that's on a high valuation, you know, one year and literally in the course of a few months can derate hugely and can be completely out of favour. And I think if anything, those sentiment extremes are getting worse which gives more opportunities, if you like. So it's trying to pick good quality companies. And what I mean by that is companies with good margins. So low teams, I would say at the lowest, good management teams. That's incredibly important in smaller companies because there just isn't the management depth that you would get in larger companies. So you need good margins, good management team, strong balance sheet, but picking them at the point where people are questioning. But importantly, not just companies that are that on a low valuation, there has to be growth as well. It can't just be value for value's sake. And you've got a, a small cap bias. If you, I mean, if you look at the trust compared to the, the kind of FTSE all share, so relatively speaking, you're quite overweight in small caps. Um, but you've also been finding opportunities among the, the larger caps. Do you target a particular split between the sort of different sectors, the, the large cap, the mid cap and the small caps? Or is it just a, a case of simply investing where you find the, the best value at the time? There's no particular split. What we do explicitly say is that we won't normally have more than half in the FTSE 100. And the reason for that is if you went back historically and looked at where the best performers have been, they've tended to be in the smaller, medium sized company area. And I think the reason for that is these companies are smaller, therefore they tend to be growing faster, purely by virtue of being smaller. 
And they're also less well understood because they're smaller companies. So those are the companies where we feel we can add the most value. So I think there's an explicit reason that we tend to say we're not more than half in the FTSE 100. Where we are at the moment is more of a barbell. So we would have more in the FTSE 100 and more in the small cap area and less in the mid cap in the FTSE 250. And that's not me and James coming in on any one day and saying, you know, FTSE 250 is overvalued, we need to reduce the FTSE 250. It's not that at all. It's Mm. come out because we've found a few companies in the FTSE 100 that we think look particularly attractive and a few companies on AIM the same. Uh, Whereas the FTSE 250, we just happen to have not found much value in that area. So no, it's not an explicit, you know, a third, a third, a third, and a top-down asset allocation at all. It's just, it's where we're finding value. So it's kind of like a bottom-up sort of agnostic approach almost. Very much bottom-up, and it's driven by meeting management teams. You know, that's a big part of the process. At the moment, we are finding the best value at the opposite ends of the market cap spectrum. Um, and I think at the, the very small cap end, there's a technical reason for that, which is that a lot of um, open-ended fund managers are becoming effectively for sellers in that very small cap area. And we as an investment trust, you know, thankfully have an advantage in that area of being able to go there. We don't have the same liquidity considerations mm-hmm. as perhaps uh, an open-ended fund would. So you don't face that kind of that pressure from redemptions, for example? No, that's the, that's the great thing about running an investment trust. There, there are no redemptions. We do have a modest amount of gearing, so therefore we need to bear that in mind. You know, we have covenants on on a fixed term facility, so it's not that you know there's no reason ever that we would be a seller. But we don't ever have that inflow or outflow of money, uh, and that's a, that's a big advantage. Gearing's currently at thirteen percent or thereabouts. Should we take this as a sign that you're finding a lot of value out there at the moment? Because obviously you're borrowing to invest. I would say that's a fairly average level of gearing for right. us. If you went back and looked historically, it's about 12% today. I mean, that would be roughly in line with the long-term average. That, that's essentially us saying, you know, we really hope we can beat that cost of gearing because the, the cost of gearing is, is low. So low. It's a few uh-huh. percent. I mean, even the portfolio dividend yield would comfortably cover the cost of borrowing. Um, so that's us essentially saying, look, you know, we are finding value. We think we can comfortably beat that. And we would normally run with around that level of gearing. And given the market's obsession with growth stocks at the moment, do you think that Lowland's value tilt has has held back performance at all lately? It definitely would have done in recent years, yes. So Lowland, for those that maybe haven't been following it, it it does have what we call a mildly contrarian style. And what I mean when I say mildly is that we're not just buying out-and-out value for the sake of it. There would be plenty of stocks that would fall within that value bucket that we don't own any of at all. For example, we have no tobacco in the trust. And that is one of the, the bigger constituents of that value bucket when people talk about it. So I want to be quite careful to not associate us necessarily purely with value because I don't think that's how the trust will perform. The trust is, is picking companies that we think are good value, but really importantly, have the potential to grow. And if they don't have that potential to grow, I think the risk is that you end up buying value traps and that's what we're, we're trying very hard to avoid. Mm. Many of the companies in the portfolio could be viewed as cyclical stocks. But I think James Henderson's been quick to point out that there are kind of lots of different mini cycles going on within companies and sectors. Um, it's not just a, a picture of the you know the global economy going up and down. What opportunities are you finding out there in cyclicals at the moment? You'd definitely be right. Then one of the biggest sector overweights in Lowland would be industrials. And it has been that way for a long time, I think since James has been managing it, so almost 30 years now. But within that industrials block, which is around a quarter of the portfolio, there would be a lot of individual cycles within that. 
So for example, one stock which has been a new purchase this year is a company called XP Power and it does power converters across a broad range of industries, but it would do it for the healthcare sector, for semiconductors and for industrials more generally. And the reason we bought it is that there was a view that the semiconductor cycle was very weak towards the beginning of this year. And so XP Power had performed really quite poorly because people were worried about this semiconductor cycle being very weak. And it's a, it's a really good quality company. I think it makes good margins, sort of mid-20s type operating margins. And yet there was this big sentiment swing against it because of its semiconductor exposure. That semiconductor cycle seems to be bottoming out. It's quite early days, but it seems to be. And therefore, the shares have, have re-rated, revalued upwards quite strongly as a result. So I think there's some quite interesting opportunities mm-hmm. in the semiconductor area. It wouldn't be huge in the portfolio, but XP Power would be one of the biggest exposures that we've got within that. And then I also think, and we, we do say we're not that exposed to general industrials, but one more general industrial that we do have would be a company called Morgan Advanced Materials, which we've owned for a number of years. It's got a new management team there, new CEO and CFO both of which I think are really strong and they're reinvesting in the business, they're reinvesting in R&D where historically they've potentially underinvested. And what we've seen from them recently is that organic growth is zero, which actually in the current environment, it doesn't sound a great outcome, you know, zero, great, but, but actually that is a good outcome. And I think it shows that they are taking some market share in a difficult environment. And if the environment got a bit easier, I think that company would be well placed under this new management team. I think it's important to say we don't take top-down views on cycles. We bought XP Power because I think it's a good company. Mm. I th- thought it was too cheap at the beginning of the year. Morgan and Bart's materials, we saw this new management team come in and we thought these guys are going to make an actual impact here and going to reinvest in the business. Um, but both of those companies, I think, are in quite a good place in the moment. You know, With the usual proviso, industrials are cyclical um, and, and I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow with trade wars etc um, but I think both of those are good underlying businesses. Just drilling down into the portfolio a little further Churchill China and Hill and Smith are two smaller companies that are definitely not household names but they've actually been quite quite strong performers for you um, recently. Why are they in the portfolio and also some people might find them a little boring, but actually they're quite sort of reliable performers, aren't they? So just tell us a little bit about those companies. I bore lots of people with Churchill China <laughs> because if you're ever in a restaurant, look underneath your plate and more often than not, it will be Churchill China. So they've got a huge market share in the UK for you know plates, mugs in the restaurant industry. And the, the fact that it's a restaurant industry is really important. It's not selling much to the retail customer, it's selling to restaurants. And why that matters is that if you're a restaurant and you've bought Churchill China crockery and you smash a plate, you have to go and buy a matching plate. You can't just go and buy you know, some random plate off, off Amazon. Um, and that's really important because that's, that's what locks customers in mm. effectively. And what Churchill China say to restaurants is, we will continue to stock all of these items for you know, 10 years or so. So if you run out of that plate or if you smash that plate, we will guarantee that we will give you a replacement. And also they say, you know, we test it on X number of dishwasher washes and all this kind of thing so that restaurants feel confident that that crockery will continue to look good. Uh, and where they, where Churchill have done very well is taking that crockery that's historically been big in the UK and, and taking it to Europe and the US as well. So it's, it's a UK company, it's a Stoke-on-Trent business that's exporting globally. And, and it's, it's had some real success in doing that. 
I'd say we're not the only people to have spotted that Churchill's a good business. You know, the, the shares have performed well. They they are on a pretty high valuation now. But it's the type of company where it's still a very small company, and if we sold our stake, it would be hard to get back. Um, so while we've sort of taken some profits in it, I'm quite reluctant to sell it completely because I think it's a very good business. Um, I think the management team are very good, got a very strong balance sheet. So I think it's one to keep for the long term. Really. And then Hill and Smith, completely different type of company. Um, so Hill and Smith definitely wouldn't be a household name. It makes crash barriers for roads and those signs that tell us all to slow down um, when we're on the motorway. Not that we're going above the speed limit, of course. And then it also makes sort of more general industrial. So it does things like galvanizing. And what that what I mean by that is basically dipping metal in zinc so that it doesn't rust. So it's got two quite different sides of the business. But what's quite interesting about the road crash barriers side of the business is that in the UK we are building a lot of roads as is the US and we need crash barriers for those roads and Helen Smith is very well placed to deliver on that and there aren't many competing companies in the area so infrastructure spend going up is a very good thing for that business and I don't think that's fully appreciated in the valuation at the moment it also has a I think a very good management team as well so that that's been another long-held position in the fund well, at least five years that's been in there. And yeah, I think I think I'm quite comfortable with it at the moment. And moving on to a company that definitely is a household name, Royal Mail. It's not covered you in, in glory, I suppose, no, recently. Um that's very fair. What's what's the attraction there? <laughs> I think the the criticism of Royal Mail and, and I do do get some criticism of it, which is totally fair, is that the letters business, there is no denying that that is in structural decline. And you know, Royal Mail when they IPO'd we didn't buy it at IPO by the way it's a more recent position than that but Royal Mail were very clear at IPO that look, letters are in structural decline they're decline you know, maybe 4 to 5% a year in terms of volumes and we need to offset that but the other 50% of the business is parcels and I think what people are doing more of is shopping online I know personally I shop online much much more than I used to you know you should see the amount of parcels that turn up at my desk because <laughs> unending amusement to James, how many parcels I get. And so part of the business is in structural decline, but part of the business, I think, definitely isn't in structural decline. And they are the market leaders in the UK in parcels by quite a way. So if anyone's going to have the scale to make good margins in that business, it's got to be them. And they also have a European business that people, because they know it as a UK name, they often forget that actually almost half of the earnings are coming from the continent where it's mostly a business-to-business parcel business, that I think the quality of that are, is underappreciated. And I understand why. It's a bit like Tesco, in that people think of it as a UK company because they know the name and think, OK, Royal Mail, yeah, it's letters and parcels here in the UK. And actually, it's more of an international business than, than people appreciate, I think. That being said, you know, it is a controversial name. Um, we were talking earlier about the possible strikes. It would never be a huge position in the portfolio because it does come with risks around Corbyn and possible nationalisation, around strikes. So I do think it looks attractively valued at the moment, but there are definitely clear risks with it. So we just need to bear that in mind in terms of the position sizing. Very different company, Senior, the aerospace engineer. That's seen earnings come under pressure lately, but you're hopeful for a recovery there, aren't you? I think for context, so because uh, again, as you say, senior not a household name. It makes aerospace components, and one of its biggest programs is the Boeing seven three seven Max, which has been grounded um, after those two horrible crashes. Nothing to do with what senior are supplying to that plane, but they are um, a decent supplier, and therefore 
it's a fairly clear reason why the earnings have been downgraded, that this plane has been ground and therefore they're selling less to Boeing and to Boeing suppliers, which makes for a difficult operating backdrop more generally because Boeing themselves are under pressure, not just because of that programme, but across the board and are therefore saying to their suppliers, you know, look, can you cut the prices here, here and here? And therefore seniors margins have been under pressure. So absolutely no denying it's a difficult environment for senior. And we saw that again with the results that were quite recent that saw earnings come under pressure quite materially. I think where we are with it now is that earnings expectations have been brought right down for next year to a level that I think the management team are hopeful that they can beat based on taking costs out of the business. I mean, they've announced quite a big restructuring program at this last set of results. And I think ultimately the positions that they've got on these new planes would be quite hard to replicate. And they do have some technology again would make them hard to replace and that intrinsic value i don't think should be should be overlooked they are temporary issues hopefully you know hopefully the 737 will be ungrounded at some point you know boeing said a few days ago they think they'll be delivering again possibly in december flying early next year and therefore these temporary issues can be you know eventually washed through for the likes of senior and people can come back and think actually you know, this business does make decent margins and the shares have been awful let's be honest uh, but the valuation is i think quite low and maybe people can reassess and think well actually this isn't as bad a business as it seemed um and it can re-rate as a result and um, just to finish off i know that fund managers don't like making predictions but um <laughs> obviously the big story in the uk is the general election do you think that the result of the election will bring any clarity to the the uk's <laughs> economic and political landscape I mean, I can only go, I'm not going to have any edge on this versus the next person. Based on recent polling, yes, would be the very short answer that it seems like at the time of recording, the Conservatives will have a majority and that would bring some clarity. I think I personally am a bit more cautious than perhaps some others in that I think that clarity, if it is a Conservative majority, I think that clarity will be relatively short-lived because actually if that deal goes through, we are then in a long negotiating period with the EU. So there might be a brief period of, okay, great, we've got a bit of clarity, look, we've left. But then actually, you know, we're in trade negotiations for how many years? I wish I was more optimistic than this, but I think we will be talking about Brexit for a long time and debating where we will come out at the end of it. But we wouldn't make portfolio decisions off the back of this type of view. We would be making decisions off the back of companies. Um, So I can have this view and it's probably less optimistic than some, but it comes down to company by company at the end of the day, what we're doing in the portfolio. Okay. Laura Phil, thank you very much. Thanks. Don't forget, you can access more great content, including Master Investor magazine at masterinvestor.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us by hitting the subscribe button and by leaving a review. If you've got any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview or topics you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at masterinvestor.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Before investing in any investment referred to in this podcast, you should satisfy yourself as to its suitability and the risks involved. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation or solicitation to buy, hold or sell any investment. Tax assumptions and reliefs depend upon an investor's particular circumstances and may change if those circumstances or the law change. Issued in the UK by Janice Henderson Investors.
Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by Henderson Investment Funds Limited. Registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London, EC2M3AE, and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Janice Henderson, Janice, Henderson, and Knowledge Shared are trademarks of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC.